Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Welcome to the championship round of the NFL playoffs and welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. I'm Joe, your host at BMADFTS on Twitter, the keeper of the real, and this is my co-host Alex. How's it going, Joe? Happy to be back. You guys can find me at I underscore like underscore sports six. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've started calling myself the host and you're the co-host because like, come on, come on. I, think I make the fucking charts. Yeah. When, when you can ramrod a bet down my throat, then you're the host. When I get the soundboard, then I'm the host. <laughs> All right. Speaking of sounds, apologies if anybody hears the construction outside. I thought I had picked a day where miraculously nothing was happening at MSG, but I was wrong because they're literally tearing up the sidewalk in front of my apartment. I love New York. I don't. All right. Should we get to some recap? Yeah, let's talk about the week. So we went kind of light on bets. We only made three bets, and but we did technically bet on all four games. So our first bet was Tennessee and Green Bay, money line parlay for two units. <laughs> How the fuck did we lose both legs? of that lock of a bet i yeah that was one that i felt was kind of an anchor i was more nervous about the other two that i actually was betting on spreads and neither of them turned out for us that was rough yeah so while we're while we're recapping we'll do a little fairer fraud we'll just bake it in these games were both so fucking fraudulent but which one should we start with we'll go in order so let's go uh tennessee and cincinnati first if this game is played 10 times I think the Titans win nine times. The, the pick on the screen by Tannehill, the first play was just terrible. And like Tannehill should get a spanking in public for that because that is just, and not the fun kind. That was a stupid throw. It was late and dumb. It was dumb if it was on time. I hated it. It made me sad. The second pick, which was the screen that got tipped, popped up and caught. I don't know if you, did you see the the video going around of like the Bengals players talking about it before? Yeah, like they, they were planning on it. The fact that they knew that play was coming and the fact that Tannehill still did it, I who I don't know who I should be more disappointed in, the quarterback for not audibling out or figuring something out or the coach for being that predictable. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it's one of those, that's why defenses get paid to situations because there's only so many plays that you can run. So they're going to figure certain things out. I think it is partially the Titans run a conservative, more predictable offense. You know, that plays in. Obviously, you like Tannehill to check out, but I don't. You know, I don't know what his options are if he's allowed to do that. What he's even seeing because they might run that look a lot and not actually rush anyone. Still, you'd like him to see that the guy flying down uncovered and not make the throw. I don't know. I think it's a, a failure for a lot of the Titans, but also it's just the Bengals making a nice play. I don't think then, these, this result was as fraudulent because we did say that there was an avenue for this to happen, right? Vrabel's going to try and run a grind-out game, and it goes the wrong way. It's so sad because while this game is totally fraudulent and the worst team won, you're right. We saw that coming because that happens a lot in games that Mike Vrabel is the head coach in. There are very few teams that are actually better than the Titans coaching aside. Like, take away the quarterbacks, I have them as the third best team in the league, just roster-wise. Even add in the quarterbacks, I have them top five, ten, like, probably top five. I don't want to actually go look at my spreadsheet, but, like, yeah. They do have a really good roster, and I think they, they have some issues on the offensive line that injuries have played in as well. But they're not super strong there. 
and they can get thin on their playmakers really quickly, as we saw this year. Yeah, they have they have three, but Derrick Henry is really about as much of a hindrance as a help. He's cool, and he gets tons of yards volume-wise, but like Whisper Voice, they're a better team when they hand the ball to Hilliard or Form. Predominantly Hilliard. They're best when they hand the ball to Hilliard. Yeah, I mean, they... I'm, I'm not as high on Derrick Henry either. I think a lot of it's just volume, and he is really strong, so he wears down a defense, but I think there are a lot of guys that could do that. The other thing is he's not strong at the line of scrimmage. He's not breaking tackles from linebackers and defensive linemen. He breaks tackles of secondary players. Like, that's his thing. So you have to block it up perfect and get him four or five yards for him to even begin to become the upside of Derrick Henry, which is trucking safeties and cornerbacks. Whereas there are a lot of running backs out there that if you block up two or three yards, they can get you five or ten. There's a lot of running backs that if you give them five-yard runway, they can make shit happen. Derrick Henry is so frustrating. I will grant them this. Derrick Henry's name carries a lot of weight amongst the mongrels that comprise NFL front offices and coaching staffs. And therefore, you know, a little bit of that perception is reality factor. Yeah, it plays into how they game plan and how they line up, which is probably why they're more successful. The Titans are more successful when they use one of their speedier guys. Teams, when they play against them, prepare more for, all right, big lineups. Let's go and try and run into Derrick Henry really hard. Then when you go to their speed packages, they're less prepared. I don't know. Yeah, I we saw it coming. Vrabel punting from midfield on fourth and short twice. Vrabel sticking with the run when it's netting him about two yards a carry. Vrabel plowing Henry into the line when clearly Dante Foreman is way outclassing him. Yeah, I think it just came down to this is our complaint with the Vrabel-Stefanski style of try and win every game by three points in that when unexpected things happen that go really wrong, like that tip pick or a million things that have happened for the Titans, like their missed kicks and all this that have kept them from uh going deeper in playoffs and having better records it's because these things do happen and then when something goes wrong now you're fighting and scrambling to now try and get back in the lead or on the other side of that uh clock advantage and it it, you have to turn it back on it's so dangerous and i think it's why we don't like coaches that do that but it's what we see with the titans a lot and what happened in this game i will the only thing is i wish I won't get to this later during the pumpkin report, but I wish that Ryan Tannehill actually played a little bit better so that I could extremely squarely place this loss on Vrabel's shoulders. Because any time that you commit two or three coaching turnovers, we should be able to blame the coach. But man, the, the Titans lost by three points in a game where they had the ball with under two minutes left and didn't score, despite three coaching turnovers and three quarterback turnovers. We got jobbed. We should have fucking won that leg of the bet. I think that's fair. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think the Titans should have won. Obviously, I understand why they didn't, but (laughs) I still would. I would make that bet again, yes. All right. Moving on to the second leg of this bet, I don't think there's anything to say about the Green Bay Packers that we won't cover in Pumpkin Report. Yeah, it was because Tennessee had already lost. Granted, I did have one where I had Tennessee teased to plus three and a half because I was scared of what ended up happening happening uh in another parlay with green bay so still a little invested but for the most part i was out and was so excited to potentially see rogers lose in the first playoff game they're in so i was kind of happy from that standpoint but wow what a miserable showing yeah that was prop 
these were the easily the two most torturous football games I've ever watched in my entire life because I had money on Tennessee, which is always terrible as long as Mike Rabel is the coach. Bottom two coach in the NFL? No. Maybe bottom one? Probably bottom one. And then the other game was extremely torturous because it was terrible football, but I had money on the Green Bay Packers. And although I have cast aside my Bears fandom, I still hate the Packers. They could sign every one of my favorite players tomorrow, and I'm still going to kind of fucking hate them or myself, one of us. Somebody's getting it. Either me or the Packers are going to be hated. (sighs) And I was rooting for them to win. And they should have won by seven, but that punt got blocked and that shit. Okay, fine. It's stupid and it's fraudulent, but that happens. And then Aaron Rodgers has a wide open Alan Lazard to continue the drive and probably they're probably going to get about 30 more yards after the catch on that. They'll probably be at the edge of field goal range as soon as Lazard catches that ball. Well, Rodgers wanted to throw the deep ball to a double covered Devontae Adams, and it was also arguably a pickable ball because it was underthrown. Uh, I got punished twice. Yeah, this was a tough one, too. Uh, this is what we talked about. It's the danger when you play the 49ers of they're going to grind you out along the lines. It's going to be a low scoring game. If Jimmy G can not make a ton of mistakes or or they can get you to make a similar number of mistakes, they can beat you in a game like this. And the Packers just did everything to keep them in it. And obviously it's tough when you give up, what, 13 points and seven was off the block punt. And there were three more that were off uh, that were almost directly to, related to special teams, wasn't it? Yeah, they, they had a blocked field goal that set up in nice position. I think they got a field goal out of that. There you go. Yeah, so 10 points realistically out of your special teams. And you don't really expect that, but... Don't forget the Mercedes Lewis fumble when the, uh, when the Packers were driving. Yeah, that was another fraudulent fucking game. So we lost two units. We probably should have made 2.3 units, but... This is why parlays are never locks, because even if you have drop dead legs, there's always that 5% chance of fucking bullshit happening in each game. Multiply them together. That's a 25% chance of bullshit right there. So yeah, it's the it's the danger of it, but that's gambling. All right. Shall we move on to the actual football games that did take place? Yeah, the Sunday games, which were took all the disappointment from Saturday and just turned it into electricity on Sunday. Yeah. So we had Tampa minus three over L.A. Uh, that looked dead in the water in the first quarter. <laughs> and then it came back. Um, this is the only true, actually justiceable final of the weekend. Like, the Rams deserve to win. And, yeah, like, yeah, the Rams were lucky because they had a touchdown in the first quarter when Devin White just decided, like, oh, I know I'm in man coverage at the goal line against the tight end, but, you know, I'd kind of like to just – jog towards the quarterback instead with my hands up that was that was really stupid but it's also Devin White it's what he does he's a fucking idiot um so like the Rams got lucky there the Rams got lucky on a busted coverage by Carlton Davis that deep 70 yard touchdown to Cooper Cup if Carlton Davis simply plays football on that snap it's probably not a 70 yard pass and they probably punt because it was third and 20 so that's that's 11 points right there in the first half that like most of the time the Bucks don't give up, but they did. And the Rams quickly erased all of that bad luck for Bucks betters with like three absurd fumbles. Yeah, that was the craziest thing where you're like, okay, wow, this game's done. That bet's dead. 
not looking good. And then the Rams just started imploding. And it was they fully Stafford. imploded. They fully <laughs> imploded. Yeah, no, Stafford actually, our one worry was like, okay, you can't bet on the Rams because what if Stafford does what Stafford's been doing for the last month and a half, two months? And Stafford played the cleanest game of football I've ever seen. It wasn't the elite because he didn't have to be, but it was like he fucked nothing up at all. Mm-hmm. But they, they had all these plays to let Tampa come back and then look like they pulled it off. And then Tampa handed it right the fuck back to L.A. With another busted coverage because, hey, you know, Todd Bowles, he should really be a head coach. I know he sucked as the head coach of the Jets, but if you don't want him as your head coach, you don't know what head coaching is, said the idiot who doesn't know what head coaching is. Yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, Anton Winfield just uh, just didn't get deep. Just didn't Did you get hear deep why? Did you hear why? I didn't, I didn't actually. It turns out not everybody on the field got the call that it was actually supposed to be an all-out blitz. So... Winfield thought that he had help, and Levante David, who was supposed to blitz, stood still because he didn't know what the play was. Outstanding. That's and, that's and what you want. His blitz gap was perfectly occupied. So if Levante David does blitz, actually a decent chance he gets home. But if you if you watch the all twenty two, it's the most frustrating thing on earth because an all out blitz probably actually wins that play, despite being a terrible fucking call on a third down with no time left out of field goal range. It's been popular and. Like, I get it to an extent, but it's just such a risk-reward thing. Man, it's uh, fucking a lot of stupid. The, yeah, like, a lot of the time, they don't have the time to get open. If your corners can cover for a second, you're good. But if they can't or someone breaks one tackle, you're it's, it's dangerous. Fuck it. In that particular scenario, run the all-out Do it. But if you're going to do it, you have to have your corners, your all of your defensive backs so far off, because if they get a 20 yard completion, it doesn't fucking matter. So just get yeah. 30 yard. I'm talking halo defense. It's the one time if you're going to run an all out blitz. Prevent defense on the back end is proper. And that's literally what the Bucks typically do on defense. And this is the one time they failed completely. And apparently it's because of communication, which yeah, that definitely makes it a lot worse. The Buccaneers were a terribly coached team, and if Tom Brady retires this offseason, which I think he probably will, I'm so glad that I no longer have to bet on. And in fact, I will be betting against them a lot. But we've spent a lot of time not talking about the best game of the week, shall we? Yeah, which after the Tampa-LA finish, there was a there was a lot to overcome to be the best game of the week. It was a high bar, and it didn't actually look like they were going to surpass it. And then all of a sudden, they surpassed it like twice. Yeah, they, I mean, how many points did they score in the final two minutes? I think 25. Yeah, just absurd craziness. I, I think that's not including overtime. Yeah, I I would believe it either way. I don't know. The, I, the other thing that I love is that as fun as this game was, and we'll get to this in Pumpkin Report, it, a lot of those fucking plays in the last two minutes had nothing to do with the quarterbacks. Tyreek Hill, 10-yard crosser turning into 80-yard touchdown. 60-yard touchdown or whatever the fuck. Kyle Orton makes that throw. Like now. Like today's Kyle Orton can make that throw. It might not be placed as well, but Tyreek will catch it and still keep running. And like Gabriel Davis's game-tying touchdown, there was nobody covering. Like the safety busted his coverage and the cornerback fell. It was a double coverage fuck. So as great as that game was, it was also kind of bad football in a lot of ways. But it's also the only bet we won, so I won't complain about the fact that it was totally a coin flip. It literally was a coin flip. The winner of that game is who won the overtime coin flip. We won the overtime coin flip, so we won a two-unit bet based on a coin flip. 
hundred percent. I was more nervous at the coin flip than I was at any point during the actual overtime because I well, knew that if the Chiefs got the coin flip, money was safe. We, if we always, the Bills got it, I was like, uh, we're probably screwed. We all like to complain about like, oh, the overtime rules are like, oh, 13 seconds is bullshit. Like, dude, the Chiefs absolutely dominated the first 95% of that game. The fact that the Bills were in it is purely a product of the Chiefs running that weird option play on third and one when they should have absolutely scored. The Chiefs missing a field goal and the Chiefs just fucking up in prevent defense because Tyron Matthew got hurt and Daniel Sorensen. Is he the worst coverage player in the NFL? He's got to be up there. It's terrible. And it makes me so frustrated. And he just, they keep on trying he's reliable. It's the Andrew Sandejo shit where it's like, oh, we know what he's going to do. It's like, yeah, and it's bad. <laughs> do anything else. Yeah, he, he's got to be just the best guy ever. Everyone loves him. He's Mormon. Of course he is. He's probably the sweetest man of all time. He probably is the hardest working dude. Probably has never even thought about cheating on his wife. Probably has like six kids all on the honor roll. But he can't play football, and that's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. but he will keep a job and be in the league forever and then eventually he'll be a defensive coordinator at byu and he will be just okay (sighs) no actually i i would bet that daniel Sorensen would be an awesome defensive coordinator because it's always the shitty football players who have no athleticism but god damn it if they had any they would be good and if if daniel Sorensen could run faster than a 4 6 40 i think he could be decent I agree. I could totally see it. I'm going to look out for the uh, the college pipeline. Look, look at Jim Leonard at Wisconsin. It's the same guy because they're white safeties. All right. You want to get into the pumpkin report? Let's do it. It's going to be uh, – it's funny because before the game started, people were like, oh, look, the schedule perfectly crescendos from like, I don't really want to watch this game into I can't wait to fucking watch this game. And the quarterback play followed right along suit. All right, so let's, uh, let's start from the beginning. How'd you grade out Burrow and Tannehill? I'm going to start with Tannehill because we've already touched on him and it will be briefer. Tannehill got a C. He had more negative plays than positive, but he also had a few plays that were fucking sick. Like the, the amazing touchdown to bring the Titans back. The one-hander to uh, A.J. Brown. That was a sick catch. Don't get me wrong. A.J. Brown is Terrell Owens without an attitude problem. But he threw a 30-yard back shoulder fade. That's insane. Um, he also had one more deep ball that was elite. And, like, generally was pretty accurate. He was accurate on 68% of his passes. But, yeah, um, the three picks, that's bad. You can't have that. No. And, like, we touched on Vrabel. When your coach is an absolute walking turnover, you can't turn the ball over. And it sucks because that castrates your offense. But, like, that's what Tennessee wants. So, I don't know. I also did see that his arm is starting to fade. And next year might be the year that Tannehill goes down the shitter which like pains me to say because forever I was on the just give Ryan Tannehill a fucking chance brigade, but uh, he got his chance and he was good. And now it's over. Yeah. I mean, how old is he? 33. He's like 35 ish. I don't fucking know. Is he really? Yeah. I, I, I know what you mean where it seems like his ball, his passes are floating a little bit more. Hitting that Matt Ryan stage in his career. Yeah, definitely. He's so he'll fun to thir- watch, but he'll be it's, 34. Uh, it's a twilight. In July. Yeah. Yeah. It's over. Not everybody's Tom Brady. So, like, it's one of those fun things where the media is completely wrong, but they're also right because they're like, oh, you got to get rid of Ryan Tannehill because he's not good enough. It's like, eh, he's actually been quite good. It's just uh, 
you should probably still get rid of Ryan Tannehill because he's getting kind of old. But also you should get rid of your head coach and everybody wants to suck his dick, tell him it tastes like flowers and give him coach of the year, which I, I was, I was DMing back and forth today with a large feline Twitter celebrity who also podcasts very well. And he was like, dude, how can you say Vrabel's a bad head coach? Like it's not fun to watch, but every year they're in the AFC championship conversation, despite having way less talent. And I'm like, where do, where are they lacking talent? They got two top flight receivers. They got a decent offensive line. They've got Derrick Henry, who everybody tells me is the best running back of the last decade. On defense, they have one of the very best, if not the best defensive lines with two stud defensive tackles. And then Harold Landry, who's a monster. They've got Bud Dupree, who is at the very least a great second edge. They've got the best safety in football. They've got a really good young safety in a money hooker. And then they've got Christian Fulton, who's a great young cornerback. They've got uh, Elijah Molden, who's a great young slot back. Janoris Jenkins is a fine second corner. Like, where's the weakness? This is a really fucking good roster. It's a much better roster than the Bengals have or the 49ers have. They just have a shit coach. I agree. I think Vrabel is the ultimate raises your floor, lowers your ceiling type guy. Because I think it was really impressive that they were able to stay as good as they were through all the injuries they had this year. Because much of this year, they didn't have a lot of those guys you talked about, especially on offense. Great point. And he was able to keep them playing at a high level. Obviously, they had some some blowups. Like, did they lose? Was it the Jets or the Jags that they lost to? They lost to the Jets and also the Steelers, but the Steelers was because they fumbled like three times. It was a fucking travesty. Yeah. But so, like, they, they had their moments, but for the most part, they were always competitive. But I do think he he eliminates your ceiling on a good roster. He's almost like a guy you want when you're rebuilding and then get rid of once you actually have the talent again. Jeff Fisher, Dan Campbell, Mike Rabel, Spider-Man meme, everybody's pointing at each other in a circle. Yeah, and so when you have as much talent as they do, it's going to look good, and you're going to win a lot of games, especially at least right now in that division where you have basically four guaranteed wins or should at least when you're playing the Jags and the Texans. But when you get into it against the really good teams, you can't just rely on having superior talent and not, I don't know, completely destroying your team. But he kind of does at this point. Yeah, we've been over it a billion times, but we need to just like, I pray they get rid of Ryan Tannehill and they bring in some no-name quarterback or some shitty like Teddy Bridgewater quarterback because I will fade the fucking Titans into oblivion anytime they play a decent team. But we need to we need to quit our passion project of bitching about Mike Vrabel and how fucking overrated he is. We need to pick up a new passion project, which is going to be talking about how bad Joe Burrow is and how much fucking value we're going to get fading him and these fraudulent Bengals all next season when people talk about how they were a championship contender. I'm very excited to bet against them next year, but we'll get into them specifically. How about Burrow this week? This was an F performance. Like, I, I don't understand how the takeaway is that he is a star. This is King Pumpkin. I wish you guys could see because I'm going to make the most fucking fire Photoshop of Joe Burrow being a literal pumpkin. He embodies a pumpkin to no end. Like, uh, everything that you know about Kirk Cousins in big-time games is Joe Burrow in big-time games. He was terrible. Okay, I know what you're going to say. Squares at home. You're going to say, look at his EPA. Okay, well, we know that EPA is about 92% just counting yards, right? So, like, we don't need to break down the EPA. We need to break down the yards. 
he had one play, which was 60, 70 yards to Jamar Chase on a screen that was poorly thrown. Yeah, and and that was right away. And that's the key to Joe Burrow is he has the big plays right away and then completely falls off, but nobody pays attention. So let's take about 60 yards off it right there. And Joe Burrow had, what, about 350 yards passing? I would have to look it up. Yeah, so he had 348 yards passing. The first 60 or so came to Jamar Chase on that poorly thrown screen. He also got another, that's a ton of EPA as well, by the way. Yeah, it was actually only 42 yards. Oh, the screen? Okay. So 42 yards, that brings him down to almost a flat 300. You've also got another 40 yards or so on the garbage time right before half little seam curl to Uzama that was completely worthless because time was out. They weren't getting in field goal position. It was against a literal prevent defense. It doesn't matter at all. So we're looking at about 250 yards on 35 attempts. Now, additionally, people are going to say, oh, but his interception, that was fraudulent. It went off the hands of his running back. That's bullshit. You're right. It was a poorly thrown ball. Totally should not have been picked. What should have been picked is the ball that he put behind his receiver into Jackrabbit Jenkins' arms would have been an easy pick six, and Jenkins dropped it. They just squirted right through his arms like a greased baby. So he still threw a pickable. And then you get into his sacks. Oh, but he still won and threw for a lot of yards despite being sacked nine times. Yeah, well, seven of those motherfucking sacks were because of Joe Burrow alone. He had plenty of time. He had open receivers. He either panicked, tried to make a defender miss when he couldn't because he's not Lamar Jackson, or simply missed his read and held the ball too long. Seven of those sacks are purely on Joe Burrow. Like you put an average quarterback in the backfield instead of him. You put Ryan Tannehill on the Bengals instead of Burrow. It's going to be two or three sacks that game. So Joe Burrow created his biggest problems and Joe Burrow's biggest successes were purely the product of other players doing things for him. He was accurate on 80% of his passes, but almost all of them were tiny checkdowns within 10 yards. It was a Mac Jonesian performance. He literally had more bad throws than good throws. He had 33.3% negative plays and 14.3% positive plays. He also had 59.4% cheap plays, bitch plays, check downs, a QB sneak, shit like that. He actually didn't have any neutral runs, so it was all check downs. He had 19 check downs. Tell me Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins, Mac Jones, tell me they couldn't do that shit. I think right now he really does play similar to those guys. It's what their offense asks because they do have some downfield plays involved. But for the most part, yeah, everything's within 10 yards. It's a lot of just get the ball into the playmaker's hands and let them work. And then even a lot of their deep stuff, though, is just fuck it, hope someone's down there. And they've even said that. Now, granted, Joe Burrow still does make some nice throws on those plays. But like you said, so does Kirk Cousins and Dak and a lot of those guys that are kind of in that middle tier. I will say that he seems to have a good personality for it. Even though he's running around getting lost, he does decent with keeping people going throughout late games where we don't see the horrible end game picks with Kirk and Dak. Now, I don't think he's out there doing much in terms of heroics, but he's not massively fucking up, which is valuable. I will grant you, and this is the big thing. Again, I'm most of this segment is just me responding to the media, right? Like, if it wasn't the playoffs, instead of Pumpkin Report, we could call it the, like, the scene from the big short where Ryan Gosling is pulling the fucking Jenga blocks out and saying, nobody's paying attention. But a lot of people credit Joe Burrow with changing the culture of Cincinnati by just being, like, a brazen 
confident, cool dude. And I, he is. Because if, if, if the things that Joe Burrow does would make him a douchebag if he wasn't Joe Burrow, and then because he's Joe Burrow and the way he does these things, it makes him actually kind of cool. And like actually really cool. And like I would like to be his friend, despite the fact that on paper he looks like a douche. On paper, somebody who wears pink sunglasses, smokes cigars after wins, looks like Macaulay Culkin, gets fraudulent fucking wins. I'm describing somebody as douchey as a Mac Jones or a Jimmy Garoppolo. But Joe Burrow does it with a panache, if you will, that makes me want to drink a beer with him. But I don't think that that matters that much. Like, I think it might help you get a little lucky. I think it might help your team stay motivated in late game stages when they're losing. But how fucking valuable is that? Is that what, 5 10% of being a quarterback? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's overly valuable, but it definitely helps, especially if you're in a lot of close games or high pressure situations. It's an added thing. And it's helped that they've been in a lot of those situations lately and have kept games close. I think it's helped that they keep on getting lucky in those situations lately. And that's I won't the disagree thing. with you there. Like like if all of these games that are coin flips or honestly, like this Titans game was less than a coin flip for them. This this game was them pulling victory out of the jaws of defeat or rather victory falling out of the jaws of defeat, the jaws of defeat being Mike Vrabel and cowardly punts. Um, if Joe Burrow and the Bengals lose these games that they're supposed to be losing, I don't think that anybody's talking about him as a star. I think people are talking about him in the way that you talk about a Mac Jones or a Dak Prescott, where like Dak Prescott is quarterback's not very good, but we want him to be good. So we just kind of try not to talk about it. And the Mac Jones is quarterback's not very good. And, we're going to try not to talk about him, but if we do, we got to address the fact that he sucks. Um, literally, I'm going to bet against the Bengals every game next year until the Lions catch up because I think they're a below average team. But I'll be betting against them as well. I, I think that people will still talk about him, even if they were losing, not to the same level they are now. I don't think you're wrong that it wouldn't be like Dak, though, where he gets a lot of hype. But when you actually like really watch him, but since they are winning, it doesn't really matter right now and overall it's good for us because we just get to make more betting against them next year that is the thing the pumpkin report is both a list of things that frustrate the fuck out of me but also things that pay my ass with that said you want to talk about jimmy g and uh aaron Rodgers? oh god well i have a. we're going descending order from best performance to worst performance jimmy g wasn't very good uh yeah he threw two picks and they were deserved and he sacked himself four times, which is a lot, not compared to Burrow, but it's a lot. He had one truly impressive throw. He had three bad ones. So we, what we can say about Jimmy G is he was accurate. He, he was accurate on 74% of his passes. It's just that he didn't fucking move the needle and he turned the ball over when he was inaccurate. It was a really bleh note. Like, look, they scored 13 fucking points, seven of them were on defense, and it looked like it. Okay, he was a C-minus quarterback, as always. To call him a pumpkin would be to insinuate that anybody thought he should be starting right now. Anyways, Jimmy G did Jimmy G shit. What do you want me to say? That that sounds about right. That's kind of what I saw. It was exactly what you expect out of Jimmy G. He was largely fine, occasionally bad. The thing I didn't expect was for Aaron Rodgers to be worse, like a lot. Like, Aaron Rodgers was worse than Ryan Tannehill. I believe that. Did he have he your had, worst grade on the league? No, Joe Burrow did. Okay. Second worst? Yes, by a margin. Um, first of all, let's start off with the fact that when Aaron Rodgers didn't have a negative play, I'm going to back up. Let's start off with the fact that 56% of Aaron Rodgers' plays in general were pedestrian plays. In this case, because he had no neutral runs. Most of his plays 
were easy throws within 10 yards to open receivers that he hit, that he was accurate on. He also was had negative plays on 28% of his dropbacks, which is almost twice as many as his 15.63% positive play rate. He had five bad passes. He had one drop pick. He had one great throw. He had four good throws. That's it. Very low play volume. I'll grant you that. And that is a little bit altered by the fact that he threw the ball away twice. He got lucky. He fumbled and it didn't hurt him. And he ate three sacks, which not as bad as Jimmy G or Burrow, but not what you expect from him. Yeah, especially after he talked up all week about like, oh, we're home. We're going to be in in conditions we're familiar with. It's not going to hinder us. And then he probably had the worst game of anyone on their offense, or at least. Oh, easily. And you can't blame the weather. It's not the weather's fault at all. It wasn't even fucking snowing for most of the game, and it wasn't that cold. It was cold, but it wasn't like, I don't know, Bills versus Patriots cold. His arm certainly wasn't lacking. His receivers weren't necessarily dropping balls. He just sucked, and he fumbled. He put the ball in harm's way, and when push came to shove, and his special teams let him down, and it was tied up, he had the ball. Third and ten, the Packers ran a genius play that I'm sure most of you have seen the dots on already on Twitter. But they brought, they took Devontae Adams, and they brought him out wide to the right. And they ran him on a deep, I guess it was a deep post. Basically, it's a streak that bends in, right? Like a tape measure that you put out too long and it starts to wilt. That's the route. Bends inward. Um, they then ran a wheel route with their tight end. and Basically, they ran everything to the outside and deep to clear out the middle of the field. Devontae Adams takes two defensive backs over the top because he needs to be double covered because he's great. Alan Lazard runs a deep in for about 20 yards and he is completely uncovered. I'm not talking he's open. I'm talking there's literally nobody to account for him and at least 30 yards of greenfield in front of him before the next defensive back. So as long as he doesn't get chased down by a linebacker or defensive lineman, he's got 15 yards easily after the catch, no matter what, even if he fucks up. And Aaron Rodgers threw a deep ball underthrown into double coverage to Devontae Adams. Did not look at Alan Lazard. Completely missed the fucking read. Alan Lazard was his first read on that play, too. Aaron Rodgers went for it all. It was so stupid, it is almost sinister. I thought for a second, like, okay, did he do this because his legacy would be better if he completed it to Devontae Adams? Did he do this because he hates the Packers and wants to lose? Why did he do this? I think he just did it because he's a fucking idiot and he's scared. Because this game, he targeted Devontae Adams way too often when he was not open. He relied on him like a safety blanket when he was not open. He ignored open receivers elsewhere on the field. And it te- and knowing the fact that Aaron Rodgers is deathly afraid of his stats looking bad ever, hates putting the ball in harm's way, hates trying to make aggressive plays, loves throwing the ball away early. Maybe under all the pressure, he just got scared and he threw it up to his guy. Yeah, I think it, it definitely, the situation had to play in. All right, this is the moment to go make it happen. Add this to the legacy especially in this season of all seasons and yeah, throw it up to my guy. He's the one that's bailed me out for the last handful of years. He's been the one to make a play when we needed it. And so he just went to Joe Burrow ball, just threw to his top receiver and hoped it would turn out all right. And it didn't. And they went home. See, I think that's a beautiful illustration of if Joe Burrow didn't get lucky on so many of these fucking plays, we would be breaking him down the exact same way we're breaking down this one Aaron Rodgers play right now. And a lot of other Brady fans, because I will admit that I'm a Brady fan, I'm a Tom Brady fan. He's, he's the greatest player I've ever seen in my life. And he's probably the singular reason I'm this into football. 
I mean, fuck, I went to law school in Boston so that I could be in Boston while Tom Brady was playing in Boston. That was a legitimate reason I went to law school in Boston. But I think Tom's cool. Yeah, you're not as big a fan, and that's all right. Probably a lot healthier. Anyhow, I forget why I got onto Tom Brady. Oh, a lot of Tom Brady fans are lauding this particular play and this particular game as, see, Aaron Rodgers isn't even close. And while he's not, Joe Burrow does that particular play twice a game, minimum. And a lot of the time it works because Jamar Chase and T. Higgins are really good at contested catches. It's like their thing, both of them. And then people say, oh, look at fucking Joe Burrow. He's a superstar leading the Bengals back. He made the Bengals. They're nothing but him. Aaron Rodgers makes the same play, ball bounces a little off, and every results-oriented dumb motherfucker out there is like, see, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have it like Joe Burrow does. And by it, I mean God's grace and love because it's the only fucking differentiating factor. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, and I, I don't want to just simplify it to results-based, but that kind of is, that's football. If you catch the ball and win the game, it's a lot different than if you <laughs> underthrow it and lose the game. So I understand why there's a different attitude towards one versus the other. But yeah, you're 100% right. And that's why I've been kind of fading the Bengals a little bit to my own peril this year, because it has to turn around. It's just so much, well, we'll try. And things turn out. The receivers keep bailing them out, even though the quarterback isn't playing particularly well. And their offensive line is Swiss cheese. I mean, he's the most hit quarterback in the league. And I know the line is better than it's made out to be. And he's the reason for it, a big reason for it, but still not good. And you expect that that's got to turn, but they keep just winning games. As somebody who has made a life out of, fuck it, let's see what happens. I can tell you that eventually it will bite him square on the ass. He won't like the way it feels. Um, I didn't like the way that watching these first two games felt. But as I alluded to earlier, Sunday was better. Yeah, you want to kick us off with Brady and Stafford? As, as fun as this game was because of all the back and forth, it wasn't a particularly well-played game. Like, Brady fumbled as bad. And Brady threw a pickable as bad. And Brady had 14 inaccurate passes. It's not the worst thing, but a 68.75% accuracy like rating from him is um, that's, that's not good for Brady's standards. It's No, that's not what he does. Made up for it with a couple of awesome deep balls and a couple of really nice second tier shots, but he also ate three sacks and he was under constant pressure. So he had a fuck ton of positive pocket movements. Like he avoided a ton of sacks. If Brady wasn't doing Tom Brady things, this would have been seven, eight sacks, but I gave him a B minus. He actually had more negative plays than positive plays. It's just that his positive plays were so fucking good. And the degree of difficulty was so fucking high, but this game was upsetting for a Brady fan. Like, it, he didn't look as transcendent as he usually does. And maybe that's why he'll retire this year. I was going to say, with the, the rumors of him retiring, do you think that that helped seal the deal for him? Going, Dude, he's you know got to retire. He's got to retire. I, I feel like it, it's almost inevitable at this point, just based off of the amount of chatter and the way things have ended. The way he's kind of alluded to things, it seems like it. Who knows, though? We've said this about Brady for years. It's at the point where even I'm almost excited for him to retire just so that, like, betting can get more interesting. Rather than like, oh, I hate everything about this team. Brady's so fucking good, it doesn't matter. <laughs> can free you a little bit. Yeah, I can actually, like, truly handicap. And, like, with all these quarterbacks that either are elite or were elite phasing out of the NFL, 
like sneak peek next year, it's going to be a lot more fun to handicap because like the actual team and coaching will matter a lot more. But it's a good point. On the other side, Matt Stafford, I gave him a B plus, which like feels low because he made no mistakes. He was really fucking good, accurate on almost 76% of his passes. But like a lot of his big plays came from taking advantage of busted coverages. And while that's good, it's not awesome. Like, yeah, if Antoine Winfield and Cooper Cup are one-on-one and it's a zero blitz and Cooper Cup is beating him by three yards, yeah, you throw that ball up to Cooper Cup. But, like, if you didn't, it would be bad. Doing it isn't great. It's just good. Like, he's doing he's doing what is expected well. I would expect Kirk Cousins to throw the ball to Cooper Cup in that scenario. And because of how open he was, I would expect a completion. Uh, the 70-yard touchdown to Cooper Cup over Carlton Davis when Carlton Davis just, like, didn't play football on that snap. Yeah, like that's a good, that's good. It's a good throw. A lot of quarterbacks probably don't even have their own strength to make it, but it's not awesome. It's not elite. It's the defense fucked up. He didn't transcend anything. So a B plus, I'm proud of him. I love Matt Stafford. I'm glad that he didn't fuck it up, but you know, I'm not going to crown him. Yeah, you know, I think it probably felt a little bit better than a B plus just because there were so few negative plays that were on him. Yep. And they had the explosive plays and you get a little bit into the same reason Joe Burrow gets a lot of flowers is the playmakers or the result of the play was really exciting, even if the throw wasn't as great. Stafford played great, though. I mean, he he did play a really good game, really clean. Like you said, he wasn't asked to do a ton, but still, I can't be upset with that. That's exactly what you want out of him if you're going to, you know, try and win the Super Bowl. So he did what he needed to do, and they they pulled it off against what might have been their toughest test. Yeah, I mean, if he plays B-plus fo- B football for the rest of the year, he's getting a ring. So I this is great shit. If you get a B-plus in every fucking game the entire year on my grading scale, you're a top five, top ten quarterback. Probably top five, because I don't give out A's. So... Like, currently, the only A is Tom Brady. That's it. So, B-plus is good shit. Congratulations, Matt Stafford. You did good shit. You want to jump on into the Sunday night game? Yeah, I'll start off simple with Patrick Mahomes was actually great. Um, He avoided a lot of sacks. Usually, he dances around in the pocket for the fuck of it, but this time, it was actually necessary, and it was actually helpful. I'll give him a lot of credit. I gave him 15 positive movements and alterations to his throwing motion in the pocket. So that's 15 times that, like, if he didn't do some fucked up Mahomes shit, it would have been bad for his team. Um, It wasn't, like, it wasn't the Mahomes game that people think of when they think, oh, Patrick Mahomes, showtime. He only had two great throws. He had no elite throws. It was purely he didn't fuck up. He was accurate on 89% of his passes. He had four bad passes. Four. He had three throwaways, but then four bad passes. The fuck do you, like... When you got four bad passes and explosive ass options like Kyrie Kill and a good ass play caller like Andy Reid, you're not going to lose a game. Yeah, I mean we were talking about what what the Rams need out of Stafford if they want to win. And same thing with Mahomes, where you know obviously he doesn't have to play to this level for them to keep winning because that was just absurd by Josh Allen and the Bills as well. But he just has to limit some of the negative stuff and just keep giving it to Tyreek and Travis and some of their other just fast guys like McCall Hardman. And, you know, Jarek McKinnon has had a nice, has had some nice games with him. But yeah, when he plays like this, I don't know if anyone can beat them. Yeah. And like, it's worth noting that Mahomes added six points to his slugging score on the, on the ground running. He had four positive runs, two of which were big time, like big runs. Uh, I think one was almost 30. I think one was 30, the first one. Um, so 
yeah, like those are just as good as a 20 or 30 yard throw. I give him just as much credit in the grading system. You take away all of his positive runs and we're looking at an A minus game. But when he puts the whole package together, what are you going to fucking do? A plus. Great shit. On the other mm-hmm. end, I have a little bit of a controversial take. I gave Josh it Allen be- a B plus. I gave him a B plus just like Matt Stafford. Like Josh Allen did some good shit and that offense 100%. Like the Bills offense is Josh Allen. Josh Allen plays well, Bills offense does good. Josh Allen does not play well. Bill's offense plays bad, but a lot of his fucking plays were due to busted coverages. Like everybody's going to remember the game tying touchdown to Gabriel Davis, right? He runs that scissor post route. He, it's, he runs a post. Somebody else runs the corner. It's a scissor concept. Josh Allen fires that fucker in there. The cornerback fell down because Gabriel Davis ran a sick fucking route and the safety was covering the wrong guy. So yeah, it was like a nice throw. Like it had some great zip on it. It was very pretty. But I do think that Kirk Cousins could hit that throw sometimes. I think it's a good throw, but I don't think it's insane. It's a big fucking play with a lot of consequence and a lot of yards and points being scored on that play. But I don't know how great it is. I, I mean, I do know how great it is. I mean, it's not great. What do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. He looked really exciting, and he always does. And the biggest thing has always been limiting the negative stuff and just taking those every down throws. So I think that's a huge part for him, and it's the growth of why he has gone from someone that you didn't really think you could put on the field to one of the better quarterbacks in the league. But as far as that game, yeah, it was it was a lot of guys that were wide open. I mean, I give him credit for seeing the wide open guys and getting the ball there on time because there are a lot of quarterbacks that don't do that. Yep. Or where we're sitting here and killing Rodgers for not taking the the wide open throw. So it's an important thing. You You still have to do it. And it's what scored the touchdowns and kept them in that crazy game. But it definitely is similar to Stafford where it plays that you should make They're They're there for you. And I give you credit for making it, but I'm not going to go. Wow. Just because it was a really important touchdown. I will give him the, the one throw to Gabriel Davis for a touchdown, the fucking laser shot in the third quarter, like 55 air yards on a line, like not arced on a line, dude. I, that was insane. Yeah, I mean, he still does things that it, probably only he and Mahomes can do physically. Herbert. Herbert, yeah. Where they just absolutely laser balls into a, a pocket that is got six defenders' hands around it and fit it right in for their receiver. It's just how often can they do it? But he's been doing it very often. No, that I mean, that was a very elite throw. He had three great throws. But another thing that people don't realize – People are like, well, but look at all Josh Allen's running. Are you accounting for the running? I am accounting for the running. He had five positive throws. He got bonus points because one of them was really long. However, you got to count the negative runs. Like, if you're going to run the ball with a quarterback, sometimes it's not going to work. You have to hold that against the quarterback. They're not calling running plays for Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton would get a negative running play most of the time if he ran the ball, but they don't do it, right? Like, because he's not that, he's not a runner. Josh Allen had six runs that were negative. They hurt his team. Now, do you only do runs that he messed up or just runs that didn't work? So this counts the, where the line gets blown up and he gets tackled for a three-yard loss. It depends. Um, look at me. I am indeed a lawyer. It depends. Um, no, it, so if it's like a read option and it gets blown up and he gets tackled in the backfield, if it looks like the running back would have had a better chance, I'm going to count it on him. If he scrambles and he looks like he's going to be able to run and he gets like one yard. That's a fucking sack, dude. Like, yeah, it's it's better than a sack, technically, but it's not good. You're not helping your team. Or if, uh, if it's third and 10 and you run for five yards, the Ryan Tannehill special, that's a bad run, dude. 
you've hurt your team. So it's very subjective. And but it, I could it takes into account the decision by the quarterback. It's not just if yes. the play doesn't. Okay. Yeah. And, and then like, you know, let's say that they perfectly block up a run for 10 yards. Like he's just got all the world in front of him. And he runs for six yards, but then he falls down. It's a negative run. You were supposed to get 10 yards. And you got half that. You fucked up, man. So it all kind of depends. Base The basic premise of all of my grading is what do I think a very average quarterback would do? Like, what do I think Kirk Cousins would do? And I set my average as like average franchise quarterback, not like average guy that a team is going to keep around, not average in the entire world, not average in the entire NFL. So like I, I typically call it the Dak line. Sometimes it's the Kirk Cousins line. Like, could they do this play? Fair enough. Anything, uh, any final thoughts on the pumpkin report this week? No, it looks like our only two pumpkins are Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow. It shouldn't be a surprise with Joe Burrow because he is the king of fuck it, Jamar down there somewhere. He is also the king of check down with yards after the catch. It shouldn't be a surprise for Aaron Rodgers because despite all the MVP hype he's gotten this year, he actually played like absolute fucking shit like seven, eight times this year. And most of his stats are predicated on a ton of yards after the catch and the most wide open throws in the NFL per next gen stats and also eyes. Step one, have eyes. Step two, wear glasses if necessary. Step three, watch Aaron Rodgers play football. Step four, realize that most of what he's doing is checkdowns and easy throws, the type of shit that people gave Baker Mayfield a hard time for in 2020. I understand those who want to say like, oh, but he didn't fuck it up. That's good. Fine. I don't grade that way. I punish you if you fuck it up. I don't congratulate you for not fucking up. You don't give your son candy because he peed in the toilet. You know, you yell at him when he pees on the ground. Right. Yeah, I, I like the analogy. Pee goes in toilet. That's what happens. Now, if your kid holds his pee for a two hour car ride and then makes it the toilet, then you get him some candy. because That's impressive shit. Yeah, you got to get that positive reinforcement going. Just I like think we have just like dogs. Children are dogs. Aaron Rodgers is a dog. I think we've exhausted the pumpkin report. Beautiful. You want to talk about some uh, games that we don't know the result yet? I really do. But first, let's do some ads. All right, let's jump into these conference championship games. On Sunday, on Sunday, our first game is the Cincinnati Bengals going to play the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are minus seven. <laughs> okay, how do we figure out a way to bet on the Chiefs without looking like idiots? I don't know. <laughs> this line is too big, but I want to bet on the Chiefs. I think that this game could very realistically be a 30-point blowout. But if you look at the first game, I finally watched Chiefs versus Bengals' first game. The Chiefs just stopped trying to win that game. It did look like that, yes. It was very similar. we got a little bit of circularity going on here. Both of these championship games are rematches of a late-in-the-season game in which the better team was dominating and then kind of just gave the fuck up. And I think I, in both games, like the team that was dominating and gave the fuck up. It makes sense why you'd want to do that. I mean, that, that's my inclination too, is bet on the better team, bet on the better quarterback. So, okay, let's just go over like cursory sides and then we'll get to getting creative. I'm going to call this a cursory side. I think that it might actually be in our favor to bet Chiefs minus two and a half first quarter. You know, they're going to come out with something nice. It's going to work because everything is going to work against Cincinnati this week. And the Bengals opening scripts aren't actually that good, mostly because they're not actually that good at executing plays as much as they are just lucky. I don't think the opening script is creative for the Bengals, but it's often just get Jamar the ball. 
That's why he normally starts crazy hot because they just try and get the spark from him, right? And the Chiefs, that was their issue when they played the first time. No one could cover him. They couldn't do anything to stop him. And the Chiefs refused to get out of man coverage. But they refused to get out of man coverage against the Bills last week as well. So I worry that they're just going to do, the Bengals are going to do the same thing of just throw it at Jamar. And the Chiefs are going to at least take a minute to come up with something. Because whatever they initially try is not going to work. So I worry that the, the Bengals might come out and score real quick as well. But then once, you know, they figure out, okay, let's just get pressure and double team Jamar. And then Kansas City runs away with it. That's my worry. But I think in theory, you're right. Because Kansas City is much better and their offense, there's a huge matchup advantage there in between Kansas City offense and the Bengals defense. Because the Bengals defense is not good. They've been living a lie, especially these last few weeks. So Kansas City's got to be able, they're going to have a lot of opportunities to score very quick from the beginning of the game. They're not going to have to wait for things to open up. They should be able to just score straight up off of talent advantages. And then it's on the Bengals to keep up with them. And while again, Jamar can break stuff and I don't think there's anyone for Kansas city that can keep up with him. He's going to have to do the same thing he did the last time they play and single-handedly try and take it over. I think you're right that they're going to run man coverage because it's just what they do. And I don't think that they will necessarily cover Jamar Chase well enough. I do think that Joe Burrow can't keep getting away with this. And eventually the pickable balls that he throws will be caught. The bad throws that he throws will not be adjusted for by his receivers. And when push comes to shove, I just I think the Chiefs are going to fucking win. Like, let's put it this way. The Bengals had a hard time scoring in the first half in their first matchup, right? Right. And they didn't really change their offense that much in the second half. It just started working. Right. Like mm-hmm. It wasn't any spectacular adjustment. It was just it started working. Now, in a regular season game, the Chiefs have the division locked up. Do you think it stands to reason that in week 17, up big at halftime, they took their foot off the gas? No, it definitely makes sense. I see what you're saying. Well, what I'm saying now is consider the fact that they've already been victim to taking their foot off the gas against this team. They're already pissed because this significantly better football team is coming into a game thinking we have to make sure we beat these fuckers. Because we fucked up last time. They're not coming in cocky like a better team usually would. They're coming in hurt. They're a wounded animal trying to make up for something. So I think if the Kansas City Chiefs get up, if they are the better team, they're going to push. They're going to try to run the score up. Because they've seen last week, they saw what can happen if you don't run the score up. They can see what happens. They've seen what happens in a close game. In prior playoff games, they've seen what happens when teams leave the door open for them. And this season, they saw what happens when they take their foot off the gas against these Bengals which is why I'm tempted to take the fucking seven, lay the fucking seven. Let's just get into matchups. All right, let's do matchups. So best thing going for Cincinnati is their defensive line. But both of their defensive ends are now a little bit banged up. Both Hubbard and Hendrickson have had close calls in the last three weeks, in the last two weeks. Um, Both are going to play and both are good. But you combine the fact that they're banged up with the fact that Kansas City has a really fucking good offensive line. I think that that advantage is mitigated. I don't think that the Bengals have an advantage in the pass rush. Do you? No. I Obviously, the, the Chiefs are a little weak at right tackle, but the line is so strong as a whole, and that offense is so good. And, honest, and Mahomes is just so good with pressure that the defensive line being a strength doesn't actually do that much for you against the Chiefs. And then especially just, yeah, they're talented. So I, I agree that this matchup advantage 
or what is typically a matchup advantage for the Bengals doesn't really come into play here. Now on the outside, the Bengals are the kings of, we don't really have any good cornerbacks, but we've got three serviceable dudes. I think you're especially fucked when you play against the Chiefs in this regard, because one, Andy Reid is going to get dudes open. Like there will, They will be open by scheme, unless you are a special corner, and they don't have any special corners. And two, none of these cornerbacks are, in, are actually very fast which means that Nicole Hardman and Byron Pringle will be able to beat them just with their speed. And then the final point, and this is the important one, is um, Tyreek Hill is the best wide receiver to play in the NFL since Randy Moss. And possibly top two of all time. Because as great as Jerry Rice was, there is a way to cover it. It's tough, but you can do it. There is no way to cover Tyreek. You can't do it. Nobody can. No cornerback in the NFL this year or in any year Tyreek Hill has played can cover Tyreek Hill. He's simply too fast. Like, Maybe in a few years, Eric Stokes will be able to because he'll develop mentally enough and he is fast enough. Maybe. He's too good. He's actually got really good hands and he's a savvy route runner. And he's also the fastest and the quickest player in the NFL. It's they don't have anything for him. And they have terrible linebackers and safeties that can't cover Kelsey. Although Jesse Bates played fucking awesome for the second consecutive week last week. He's had a very good playoffs. He's been, dare I say, back. After a terrible regular season. Yeah, whether it clicked for him or what, but he's playing much better and looks like the Jesse Bates of years before. He played really well against a banged up Darren Waller and he played well against, well, playing well against Anthony Ferkser doesn't make you an elite free safety, but he was good. He was good. So instead of saying that Travis Kelsey is a massive advantage for the Chiefs, I would say that he is an edge. If anything, I think the real focus is going to be Tyreek Hill and the running game because, dude, the Bengals cannot stop the run at all. It's kind of if it doesn't go at DJ Reader, it's going to work. Yeah. And the Chiefs interior is strong. Right? That's a good that they have Tooney and then they have Creed Humphrey. And right there, that is enough to take any defensive tackle out of any play. Yeah. So the Chiefs will be able to run the ball, get the ball to Tyreek Hill, get the ball on sweeps to their speed players because the Bengals defense is not fast. The Chiefs will score all the points they want. Unfortunately, the team total is Chiefs over under 30, and I don't want to bet on that. No. Flip to the other side of the ball, or do you have anything to add? I got nothing to add. I think I've I've said most of what I thought, and then you covered the, the rest of it. They should be able to score at will. On the other side of the ball, the Chiefs defense is troublesome, but they got a ton of pressure on Josh Allen. Josh Allen just escaped a ton of pressure because he was great in the pocket. So on the so the edges are how you beat the Bengals offensive line, right? Like their interior is okay. No, backwards. The interior is how you beat the Bengals defensive line. Their exterior is okay. Their tackles, Jonah Williams, extreme technician. We've talked about it a million times. On the right side, is it going to be Remmers? Uh, no, I want to say it's Prince. It's who has been playing. I'm not 100% on that. though. Yeah, they are going to go with Prince. Wow, I, that kind of sucks for the Bengals, but still much better on the edges than they are in the center. Yeah, it's just the line in general is not good. Jonah Williams is the one that you can count on a little bit. I think Quentin Spain has had a solid year, but it, it's just not a good line. There's a reason that Burrow's the most hit quarterback in the league, or one of, he isn't the most. So the Chiefs kind of are set up to perfectly dominate this offensive line. Because in the center, they've got Chris Jones, who's a monster. And he will tear up Quentin Spain, Trey Hopkins, or whoever the hell Adenogy thinks he is. Because all those players are not very good, and Chris Jones is awesome. Right now, he's back on the interior. They made that switch mid-season, and it helped a ton. When you look at the tackles, 
Frank Clark is actually the kind of guy that Jonah Williams will be able to play very well against. But oh look, now you've got this Prince fellow going up against Melvin Ingram the third, who has been playing fucking incredible, man. He's been great. Yeah, especially since he got to Kansas City, he's been unreal. It's been a nice little renaissance for him. Happy for him. Absolutely. And then, you know, Jerron Reed as the other defensive tackle ain't no slouch. I know that he's not what people thought he'd be out of Alabama. They were silly to begin with. He was always going to be a mid-length defensive tackle too, but he's no slouch. He's a solid player. So on the line, Kansas City has not only an advantage, but like a special advantage, like a good advantage. Um, And then the safeties, assuming Tyron Matthew clears concussion protocol, which I think he will, between Thornhill and Matthew, they have really good safeties. And I think that Uzama will be sufficiently erased from the game, as well as Tyler Boyd, frankly. I think that they'll be able to take away a lot of the deep plays as well, because Matthew is kind of small, but he's got insane ball skills. And Thornhill's a big boy. So it's going to come down to Ken Rashad Fenton, Algerius Sneed, and Charvarius Ward hang with the Bengals receivers at all. That's going to be the game, completely. I, I, I agree so. with you. Dude, I love it. I love that PFF still has Rashad Fenton as the third best cornerback in the NFL. I don't understand how, but I do love it. Yeah, their their skill position grading is strange. Yeah. For the lines, I, I like it. Anybody on the lines, I, I normally trust it pretty pretty well. Yep. But once you get to quarterbacks and the skill position guys, uh, it's just guidelines for me. Yep. See, like, if you go by PFF, they've got the third best cornerback in the NFL, Rashad Fenton, and he'll probably shadow Jamar Chase, the ninth best receiver in the NFL. You would think advantage Chiefs, but I would say no. I would say that Jamar Chase will still get some against Rashad Fenton. And I think that T. Higgins against Charvarius Ward is actually a bad matchup because the thing about all of this, the Chiefs have four cornerbacks that can play NFL football, and they can cover decent NFL receivers. The problem is none of them have ball skills at all. They're always in phase. They're always in leverage. They're covering their guy, but they can't make a play. In fact, they might even have five guys who can fucking cover a decent Ward, Sneed, Fenton, DeAndre Baker, Iffy, Mike Hughes. All can They can cover a dude, but they can't play the ball. T. Higgins can only play the ball, but he's good at playing the ball. Jamar Chase can do other things, but his best thing is playing the ball. So the That's question why I think is, it's a really bad matchup there. And that alone has the potential to wreck this game for the Chiefs. Do you know where at least on the cover? Yeah, please. It won't wreck the cover because the way that Joe Burrow utilizes these wide receivers, everybody knows that Jamar Chase is effectively a screen and go merchant, right? Like if he ain't going deep, he's probably going nowhere. And by nowhere, I mean, it's a screen and then he runs and he's good at that. He's very good. at that. One, your ball skills are less important when you're going deep, but two, even when they're still insufficient, if he goes deep, he's got Juan Thornhill or Tyron Matthew over the top because the Chiefs play a lot of two halo. So I don't think that they're going to stop playing two split safeties against a team that loves going deep. Jamar Chase is going to have to fend off a safety who's very good and a cornerback who's in position for every jump ball deep. Same with T. Higgins. Yeah, I feel like Jamar can just get open for a ton and just cover two hole shots. Because I don't think Joe Burrow has the deep. arm to do a hole shot, though. That's fair. At least not consistently enough. And if he's going to do it, he's got to do it really early because that pass rush is going to get home. And we yeah. know that he doesn't do things like that. He never does shit like that. He waits until the last possible second. That's how he works. Mm-hmm. And this Chiefs defense runs cover two zones a lot. Like, they match, so it looks like man. But in the middle of the field, it's messy. There are people around. So if Burrow fucks up when he does his bullshit, it's going the other way. <sighs> man, I don't want to bet Chiefs minus seven, but I do. 
Yeah, I'm the same boat. I think it's the right bet. I, think I know the that the Chiefs win. I know the Chiefs win. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, but it, there's not much you can do. And since we only have two games, it's not like you can use it as a leg. Maybe you can. I think I can. I think I can. Yeah. I mean, let's see, see what you could get to if you use Chiefs money line with, because Rams are what, three and a half? You might even be able let's, to get plus let's points Let's do the there. late game. Let's do the late game and then we'll get creative. All right. For now, well, we then, have a maybe. We have a maybe technically on the Chiefs minus seven. Yeah. So then let's get into the NFC championship game. All right. So then for the NFC championship game, we have the San Francisco 49ers going to play the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams are minus three and a half. This is a tough one because the superior team is very clearly the Rams. But the number and the matchups and the setting are all kind of bad for the Rams. I want to hear your I'm thoughts. Walking through that. Oh, (laughs) we both are procrastinating this line. Well, I'll say I agree with the general thing. The more talented team that the Rams, I liked what you said earlier about they played recently and the Rams were taking it to them. Looked like they kind of had it not in the bag, but they had the game. They were in control and then it fell apart late. Stafford has been playing better. Cam Akers being back helps them and they have good weapons uh, in terms of their receivers. That they can attack a lot of different ways. Obviously, Cup is the one that's going to get all the attention and is going to make the most happen for them. But Van Jefferson and OBJ and Higby are all good options to kind of find the weakness and go attack it, which I trust McVeigh to do. Yeah. So let's just start on offense. First of all, we'll me- I'll mention that these teams have already played twice. The 49ers have won both games. The first time, the 49ers blew them the fuck out. And the second time... The Chiefs, or not the Chiefs, the Rams were dominating and kind of just gave it away. Um, Now, the Rams giving that game away happened to coincide almost perfectly with the Seahawks taking control of their game against the Cardinals so that the Rams would already clinch the division regardless of outcome. Maybe that has something to do with it. I think it probably did, at least when they got into overtime. Like, are you really going to press and bust your ass to win this game in overtime when you know you're probably going to have to see this team again and you're playing next week anyways? I wouldn't. Yeah, that's a decent point. I, I want to chalk for, it all up. I, I I won't chalk all of it, but like the overtime period, I personally would have just run prevent the whole way down the field and said like, eh, if Jimmy G gives us the game, fine. But like, otherwise I don't care. And that's kind of what they did. Yeah. All right. Do you want to get into matchups? Yeah. So let's start with the Rams on offense. It actually doesn't really matter if Andrew Whitworth's back because – the Rams are apparently either three deep at really good offensive tackles, or they just have one of those offensive line coaches that draws up protections that makes it not matter. I don't really care which one it is because we're only betting on this week. Either way, the offensive tackles will be stout for the Rams, and I think that that'll mitigate, if not neutralize, Joey Bosa. Really? What do you think? I think so. I mean, see, this is the reason I think it will. Eric Armstead's really good at defensive tackle, but the Rams have a good defensive interior. Corbett, Edwards, and Allen are all consummate starting interior offensive linemen, right? Allen's probably a little better than consummate, and then Corbett and Edwards are like solid. Not great, but they're solid. They should start B minus B players. But Eric Armstead isn't going to dominate any of those three guys, and then they don't really have another defensive tackle worth a damn. Like, DJ Jones is okay, but he ain't special. Yeah, I mean, he's just a space eater. He's yeah. good at it. 
And then in sub packages, they like to kick Arden Key down into the three technique role. Yeah, it doesn't but he me. sucks at that. He's so skinny. He can't do shit inside. Yeah, I'm not worried by that. And then on the other edge, they've got Samson Ekubam. Ed Buchan. Ekubam, it doesn't matter. You got I mean, Samson. It's Ed Buchan, but I always want to call him Ekubam. Um, it, sound, it makes more sense to my tongue to say Ekubam. But Ebucam is not good. He is not like he's like the most vanilla defensive end two I could imagine. There's nothing special to his game at all. Which means that you don't have to double any of those three dudes and you can double Bosa all day. Literally just slide the protection towards Bosa. You're clean. As long as they don't blitz. And if they do blitz, good, because Higby's open in the middle. Like Stafford is the best quarterback against the blitz. So please, 49ers, please blitz. They won't. They that's not what they do. But if they did, it'd be great for the Rams. See, I still think Bosa will get his. He's not going to be in their wrecking game, but he's going to have an impact and potentially create some turnovers. It, it like he's not going to be, you know, nine sacks or twenty pressures from the game like we've seen, you know, Max Crosby did against the Bengals. But he's going to go in. He's going to be affecting the game. I think you're right though, and that it, it it's going to be him or nothing. And so on the plays where he doesn't get it. We can get into this more, but do you think the San Francisco DBs are going to be able to keep up with all of the options that the Rams offense has? No, absolutely not. And that's just not how the, like the 49ers know that and they're smart enough to know that's not how they, and it's not what they're going to be doing. Um, Like these cornerbacks are terrible and there are going to be wide open dudes fairly frequently. Aaron Rodgers missed the wide open dudes, like mentally, he didn't throw it at them. I think Stafford will. I think that Stafford, this is one of those things where the off-field type shit actually does matter. So, like, everybody's been sucking OBJ, right? Just been gobbling him up. They love him. Oh, my God. He caught a wide-open touchdown on a five-yard pass. It's amazing. And OBJ has actually been playing solid football. Not great, but solid wide receiver two football. But the thing is that OBJ is OBJ. He's a big personality. You know his name. You'll want to get the ball to him if you're Matt Stafford. Because you think like, that's fucking OBJ right there. God damn. And he's your second option. So whereas Aaron Rodgers looks at Alan Lazard, who's wide the fuck open and actually a pretty good receiver, very similar to OBJ in terms of caliber, even if very different style. Aaron Rodgers says, well, it's Alan Lazard. I got Devontae Adams. Aaron Rodgers looks, or Matt Stafford looks at it and says, well, I got my guy Cooper Cup, but OBJ's open and it's OBJ. Hit OBJ. So Stafford has been very... He's been very good about spreading the ball out since they got OBJ back and him and Van Jefferson have been healthy and knowing the offense. Like they spread the ball out a lot. You have to cover every inch of the field. Stafford has the arm to make sure that you have to cover every inch of the field. And I'd just like to do a quick uh, thought experiment to prove this. Do you think the 49ers defense is good? Answer honestly. Do you think it's good? No. Okay, good. I'm very glad you said that because a lot of people have been saying, you know, Oh, the 49ers keep on winning with defense and special teams, and it doesn't feel sustainable, but they keep doing it, so maybe it is. No, 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 no. So the 49ers keep on winning bullshit games. Week 18, they beat L.A. in overtime in that game where maybe they gave up. So let's just put that to the side for a second. The games that they played in the half a season between Los Angeles games were Houston. That's not impressive. Tennessee without Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry. That's not impressive. Atlanta, not impressive. Cincinnati. Maybe impressive. Put that in the pile over here with LA. Seattle, not impressive. Minnesota, not impressive. Jacksonville, not impressive. Now we're back to Los Angeles. Very impressive. So it's not like these 49ers defenders have been playing great. And then in the playoffs, they got very lucky against the Packers. 
Like the Packers moved the ball. Rodgers missed a few things. There were a couple fumbles, but they moved the ball. They just couldn't score due to no fault of the 49ers. And like, yes, there was a blocked kick and a blocked punt, but I don't care what you say. That is not predictable. Yeah, I wouldn't calculate that into my my grade of the team moving forward. And they beat the Cowboys, but they still let up 20 points, and the Cowboys were silly mismanagement away from having a chance to tie, despite Dak playing like absolute garbage. Yeah, I, I think the 49ers have figured out a way to be decent with the, the D-line being a strength and then just grinding out games. And they are really physical and they wear on teams. And it's why they're able to keep these kind of low scoring, just dirty game. But I just can't think that it continues as they play in, you know, increasingly better competition. And yes, the 49ers beat the Rams both times they played them this year. They shouldn't have won that second game. The Rams are playing stronger. You know, uh, Stafford is settling in again. They've kind of, OBJ has been a really nice addition in filling out that, you know, second and third receiver role. Well, so the other thing is, how how did the 49ers beat the Rams, the two games that they played? Well, in the first game, they just went ball control on them, and they were really efficient. They scored on most of their drives, and they ran the ball, ate up the clock, right? Well, since then, the Rams have gotten healthy in the interior, so they've got Greg Gaines and Aaron Donald, who are both really fucking good against the run. Um, Aaron Donald is the best player in football, and Greg Gaines is a legitimate A-minus, B-plus defensive tackle, especially against the run. But they've also added Von Miller. Leonard Floyd got healthy. They added Eric Weddle, who is, if nothing else, a really good run-stopping safety, which is why in the second game, the 49ers did not run the ball very effectively against the Rams, despite having their full arsenal back. So that formula isn't working. They they scored in the second half with a little bit of luck and a little bit of pass. That's how it worked. <clears throat> now, additionally, I would like to focus on Nick Bosa because – you're worried that he could wreck the game. And I think that's really the only way the Rams don't put up a fuck ton of points, right? Like the Rams score 20 to 30 most of the time. Eh, they score in the high 20s most of the time if Nick Bosa doesn't have a sick game. Is that fair? I think you think everybody would agree with that? Yeah, I think so. As good as Nick Bosa has been in some of the games, and don't get me wrong, he has stood the fuck out in some of these games. He was really good against Green Bay last week, right? He also went up against a third-string right tackle that didn't expect to play because David Bakhtiari was supposed to play all week and then didn't at the last second, which means their right tackle got shifted to left and they brought in their swing tackle to play right tackle. That's not great. Now, it's impressive that Nick Bosa beat him like a rented mule, so I'll give him it. I'll give him. You got two sacks and a bunch of pressures, but I think he got five pressures total, three hurries and two sacks. But if you go back in his history, Against Dallas, he had two pressures. Against the Rams a few weeks ago, he had four pressures. One pressure, two pressure. Nine pressures against Atlanta, but we know they suck. Nine pressures against Cincinnati, but we know they suck on offensive line. Six pressures against Seattle, but Russell Wilson eats pressure for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and that's a bad right tackle. He's not getting many pressures against good teams. And if you look at his PFF grades, his own, he's not getting a lot of great pass rush grades, except against Green Bay's swing tackle, He got a decent grade against Houston and then awesome grades against Cincinnati, Atlanta, Chicago, when they were banged up on the offensive line. It's a lot of feasting on shit and then playing okay at best against everybody competent, including the Rams when they played him week 10. He was okay when he played the Rams week 18. Not great. Like these are PFF grades in the 60s against the Rams. So I don't think he'll be a problem. It is encouraging, especially because Fred Warner's, playing but he's banged up 
And Cam Akers is back. And uh, for all the fumbles, throw the fumbles out. I don't care about the fumbles. Fumbles are random. He fucking moves the ball. He's an electric runner. He does. I, I think the fumbles are random until there's a pattern with the guy. And I think Akers might move towards that. But every one of Akers' fumbles in that game against Tampa was reviewed and extremely close. One of them was a fumble because his head didn't quite touch the ground before the ball came out. The other one was a fumble because as he was tackled in a pile, the ball started to move. Like, these aren't like, oh, I dropped it. These are, these are close but still, calls. But still, I agree with you, though, that even even with Bosa, uh, the only way that I think is, is if Bosa goes in and creates one of the pick sixes or a Stafford meltdown that we've seen a couple times throughout this year. That's my worry yeah. with him, though, that not being the case for how they've played this year is encouraging. Do you want to talk about the other side of the football? This is where things get tricky. This is where the 49ers have such an edge. And it's just because they've been able to run the ball against this fucking Rams team. Why don't you start us off while I pull up some charts? Yeah, so we, we've talked a lot about how strong the Rams are at certain positions and that they've had a resurgence in Von Miller and Leo Floyd's healthy. Obviously, Aaron Donald is the superstar that he is. They have the big name in Jalen Ramsey that you would think would be a perfect match with Debo Samuel. But it just hasn't really worked for him when they've played this year. Uh, the In the, that second game, you know, they were good in the first half. They, they still didn't end up giving up what they go, 20 points in the whole game, which yeah. isn't terrible. But when you play the 49ers, that's that's kind of what the 49ers want to happen. They want it to be a grind-out game where they just hold on to the ball and they only score 20 or 17 or whatever, but it still is a win for them. And that's been the issue for the Rams. They haven't been able to just stop them and get off the field. And they're going to be, they have to be able to do that in order to give Stafford and that offense enough chances to go and score 24 points. That kind of puts them in that comfortable territory. I don't know if they can. Like I said, you know, we just listed some of these names and I like a lot of these guys in theory. They grade out well. They look good when they play them. But the 49ers just have, whether it's Shanahan or it's the the stud tackles or what it is for the 49ers, but they're able to just grind out yards and keep people guessing. And it's how they've gotten to this point. I mean, it's just ball control, use the defense, and then offense give it to Debo and create stuff with Kittle and uh, use check and just hope Garoppolo doesn't screw up. And he's been screwing up just uh, just rarely enough that they're surviving. Yeah. So I want to start with Jalen Ramsey because it's one of my pet projects. Jalen Ramsey is fucking mids, he's super overrated, but he is what you want in this game. He's the guy you want on Debo. He can limit Debo as much as anybody because he tackles really well. And Debo is a running back playing wide receiver and also sometimes running back. And Jalen Ramsey is the guy you want tackling him. There's similar speed. Like, as good as Debo is, it's not like he's got awesome ball skills. He's got good ball skills, but he's not going up and pulling one out of the air. And Jalen Ramsey's got good ball skills. Not great, but good. But Jalen Ramsey's been shit in coverage against Tampa and Arizona and San Francisco. He was fine against Baltimore and good against Minnesota. He was shit against Seattle and Green Bay. It turns out when Jalen Ramsey plays decent wide receivers, he sucks. But when he plays Detroit... Tennessee without A.J. Brown, San Francisco without Debo, he's awesome. So a lot of this game is going to come down to how good can Jalen Ramsey. I don't think he can be good enough to make a big difference. 
And I hate to say that because it means that Debo is going to be having kids. That said, last time these teams played, the uh, the Rams were fucked in the secondary. They didn't have Darius Williams, and I don't even think they had David Longtree, which means that Ayuk and Jennings were like pretty open. And I think that Williams can handle Ayuk pretty well. I think that Long can handle Jennings very well. This game is going to come down to protecting the middle of the field with the safeties and the lines. So we know that Trent Williams is the best tackle in football, which is crazy because he took last year off. He's a freak, and they're doing creative shit with him. They put him at fullback, getting him in motion. That's genius. Why did nobody ever think of that before? Like, teams telegraph where they're going to run every week. If you're going to telegraph, get it fucking strong. Put Trent Williams in motion. Yeah, he's been incredible. He's been just a lot of fun as well. But it's been nice to see him kind of have that, not quite a renaissance, because he was very good when he was in Washington. But to get away from the franchise and have some success and get noticed for it, which is always tough as an offensive lineman. It's kind of like Stafford, where like, yeah, he was always really good, but nobody ever cared. Exactly. But outside of him, though, they're they're still pretty good. So they got Tom Compton on the right tackle, who's a very good right tackle. Very good indeed. Not elite like Trent Williams, but very good. I think that there's a weakness, though. So your boy Alex Mack, former Bear. Former Brown. Former Brown. Also former Bear. He went to Cal. Oh, ah, no, that's not uh, what I meant at all. I fucked up. Different kind of bear. I fucked up. Um, I confused our hometown teams. But yeah, former Brown, Alex Mack, very good for a very long time, but he's getting old and he's starting to show it. He has been iffy at times. I've, I caught him trailing the play on a few snaps against Green Bay last week where he was just like jogging behind everybody else on the field and not on successful plays either. Um He's fading, and it's late in the season, and he's going up against Aaron Donald and Greg Gates, which is tough. And Daniel Brunskill sucks. He sucks. Their right guard, he sucks. I think that the battle in the trenches is going to come down to Lakin Tomlinson, Chicago boy, at left guard. Um, because Trent Williams and Tom Compton are really, really good, but Von Miller and Leonard Floyd are actually really good. Von Miller has been outstanding lately. He looks like regular-ass Von Miller after looking like mids all year. And then it's Leonard Floyd. To happen. Fuck yeah. And then Leonard Floyd, who has always just been Bud Dupree, the slim cut version, has actually been playing really well lately. Like in the playoffs specifically, he's been playing really well. So I think they can, at very least, they can at the very least occupy the tackles, if not beat them. I think that Von Miller over Tom Compton is a legitimate advantage for the Rams, but it doesn't matter because they're not dropping back to pass that much anyway. I just think that they can occupy the tackles. I think Greg Gaines and Aaron Donald against that iffy interior is a problem. And I think that one of those two dudes is going to be in the backfield damn near every play fucking shit up. So on the line, I actually give the advantage to the Rams in the pass game. In the running game, the problem is that the linebackers are not any good. Like in the pass game, they can add Sean, or in the run game, they can add Sean Robinson to their defensive line because they go 3-4. So Robinson, Gaines, and Donald is like an insane front three. It's almost as good as Tennessee's front three. And I think that that'll go a long ways to stopping the run. And then you got Floyd and Miller on the field. Also stop, you got five dudes stopping the run. And that's great. And I think that that matches up one-on-one against this offensive line really fucking well. But at linebacker, that means you got something called Traven Howard and then Troy Reader. And both of those dudes, now Traven Howard's actually good in coverage, according to PFF, and he is an athlete, according to his pro day and combine scores. But he's a seventh-round pick for a reason, and he does not seem to be very good against the run. Troy Reader 
generally sucks in all the ways that one can play football. This is scary for me. Yeah, I'm the same boat. I mean, it, it's a th- the third week of the 49ers are playing an explosive offense with a defense that can't really stop the run. And well, the team with the explosive offense should win on paper because the defense is just good enough that they should be able to keep up with them. Like we said with Dallas and like we said with Green Bay, I'm kind of worried that same thing happens here. Now, the other side of me says it has to run out because I don't think that they're just better and that they've cracked it that, oh, if we play this kind of football, we can beat any of these passing teams. I think they've just been kind of lucky and have outplayed you know they they've capitalized when they needed to but it's not that they're special so that's why i still just lean towards the rams here because on paper they should be able to stifle them a good amount defensively and really just take the top off of them offensively man see this is sometimes i get into the problem where i start playing coach and start a, instead of playing evaluator I think that there's a path to victory in the run game for the Rams. I think if you take Reader off the field entirely and you throw Eric Weddle at linebacker and then play Taylor Rapp, who's finally back, and Nick Scott, who's actually played really fucking well. We'll talk about that in a second. Put Nick Scott, Taylor Rapp, and Eric Weddle all on the field at the same time. Weddle is a fucking bruiser. He has been really good. Um, You can also, if you don't want to use Eric Weddle, you can use Terrell Burgess, who is really good against the run. But Eric Weddle can't cover still. That's fine. He has been really good at tackling and hitting and stopping the run. Get those three safeties out there instead of Trey Reader or Troy Reader. Now I think you've got something. However, I also kind of doubt that Raheem Morris is smart enough to do something like that, something so counterintuitive, and I think he'll probably just stick with Troy Reader. Now, Nick Scott, got to talk about him. The strong safety. He's mostly been a special teamer, number 33 for the Rams. He had that one really, really nice pass breakup on Brady. He might have even had a pick on Brady. Two weeks ago against the Cardinals, he had that really nice hit on A.J. Green to jar the ball loose. He has been rangy and explosive, and he's been good in coverage. Because while Eric Weddle is running and making hits, he's a little too slow to get there before the ball, and he's overrunning the play sometimes. The Scott kid is timing it up great. So with him, Rap, Burgess, and Weddle, I think their safeties actually became a fucking strength out out of nowhere. Oh, I'll have to see that to believe it, because to me, it's still just a bunch of like decent role players. Now, granted, you if you platoon it right, you can be in good positions. But as soon as a play gets run that you're not expecting or where you're they start running hurry up and you get stuck with the wrong people out there, it can go bad really quickly. Well, when is that situation, though? Because I don't want Troy Reader out there for a passing play. I'd much rather have Eric Weddle covering than Troy Reader. And I'd, I'd and. Terrell Burgess, Taylor Rapp, and Nick Scott are all technically better against the run than they are against the pass, despite the fact that they're the best pass-covering options they have. So I wouldn't say that this is a good secondary full of safeties. If you were playing, say, the Chiefs, I would say, oh, Travis Kelsey might eat because these are not great safeties. But these are box safeties, four of them. You get three of them on the field at the same time, you got a lot of hitting power and a lot of speed and Everybody knows that the way to beat the 49ers is with speed and discipline on your defense. That's a good point. So to what extent is L.A. going to roll out a game plan creative enough to stifle this 49ers offense? I don't know, but the pieces are there. It's possible that they could absolutely shut this 49ers defense or offense down. And remember that the Packers, who suck at stopping the run, held the 49ers to 
three points on offense. Yeah, it's not like their offense has been carrying them. It's been kind of just doing enough not to lose. Well, it's the same thing where I, I like the Rams. They're I think they're going to win. Three and a half is just a tough number when you get down to it, though. Well, I have good news for you because this number is coming down to three. See, at three, I like it. Same. I, and, um, I think you bet it right away at three. I, we're going to have to wait. It's going to happen on Sunday, but it will get to three. Um, now, I know that I'm not the best at predicting line moves, but here are a few indicators that are usually very good. First of all, Pinnacle is the sharpest sports book out there, right? It's an online sports book. They do no VIG betting. So like instead of minus 110, minus 110, it's like minus 105, which means it, it gets a lot of sharp action from really smart dudes who are very serious about this shit, which means that their lines move faster than everybody else's because they have a more intelligent market, right? They're at minus three and a half, even odds. Westgate, second best sports book in all of Vegas. They're at three and a half, even odds. This thing is coming down. It's coming down to three soon. And I think that it'll only get closer and closer to three. Fuck, it might even close two and a half. So your weekly update about asymmetric risk, anytime you have a line minus three and a half, do not ever bet it unless kickoff is in five minutes. Because worst case scenario, it goes to four and it's the same fucking bet. Best case scenario, it goes down to three or God forbid, two and a half. And now you're rolling in money. So do not bet this, but wait until Sunday. And on Sunday, when it is three or two and a half, you take that fucker because I'm going to take that fucker. That's a bet. That's a pod bet. If you can get Rams minus three or better, take that fucker. Do you agree? I do. All right. We got one fucking straight up simple bet. Rams minus three. All right. You want to have some fun now? Yeah, let's get creative. All right. The first one I got to throw in is Jamar Chase over yards. I fucking hate you. It's 88 and a half right now, which I know is high, but what what else is going to happen? What are they going to do? Last time they played, he had 200 and some yards. The Chiefs have spent the entire playoffs just busting coverages and giving up massive plays to star players. I think just about everyone on the offense, and unless you think that the Bengals' offense is not going to be able to do anything at all the entire game, then you have to think Jamar's going to get 100 yards. He's the focal point. They start their offense with him. If it gets stagnant they go back to just for feeding him the ball if they're down by a lot they just feed him the ball in pretty much any situation they go yeah time to throw it at him so i i'm probably gonna go ahead and pepper that one in okay now i'm not disagreeing but might it be better to do jamar chase receptions over instead of yards see the thing i'm worried about is them doing manufactured touches it's only 5.5 touches he just needs 5.5 catches no, that's not bad. What's the that's a, number? That's a fucking guarantee. What are we doing here? 5.5? They're going to have to throw the ball. They're going to throw the ball 50 to 60 times. Take that shit. Yeah. Okay. So Jamar over in receptions. Okay. So we got we got another pod pick. Jamar over receptions. 5.5 is out there. If it goes to six, I don't care. He's going to get eight catches. Okay. There's a lot of props for this game. I'm seeing one. I think there's an angle here. Who will have more touchdown or uh, sorry, not touchdown. Who will have more passing attempts in the game? Mahomes or Burrow? They also have yardage. Now, the only thing that scares me at all is that Burrow is going to be in volume mode. Right. (laughs) If only I could bet yards per attempt, because then I know where I'm going. (laughs) You can get uh, Burrow uh, over 0.5 interceptions, minus 140. 
you can also get Patrick Mahomes over 34 rushing yards. Wait till those kneels at the end of the game kill you, though. Man, this is a team with bad linebackers and a fierce pass rush. He's going to be stepping up and through the line all day. He's probably going to run for 30 yards in the first half. I hope you guys hear the horn outside my apartment blasting because somebody's probably stopped at a red light. The guy behind him doesn't like that. Welcome to New York. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. You got different definitions of the world. want to live there. <laughs> want. Now that's a fun word to define. You also have Patrick Mahomes' longest uh, rushing attempts over 14.5. I'm not going to touch it. That one's a sucker play. Everybody remembers his long run for last week. This why generally I hate player props. Oh, dude, I, I fucking hate him. The only the only ones that I really liked were Jamar, just because it seems like he's the entirety. He's the one you can count on. I have a nice hedge play. What's that? You can bet who will have more receptions in the game, Tyreek Hill or Jamar Chase. If Tyreek Hill has more catches than Jamar Chase, the Chiefs win by a lot. If Jamar Chase has more catches than Tyreek Hill, the Bengals have a better chance of winning. I think if you bet Jamar Chase has more catches than Tyreek Hill, there's a chance you win both that and Chiefs winning. But worst case scenario, if the Chiefs lose, you almost certainly hit Jamar Chase more catches than Tyreek Hill. Yeah, that's a pretty nice hedge. Okay. I'm probably oh not my God. doing that. But Dude, the props are fucking Super Bowl good. They have total sacks by BJ Hill. <laughs> Hammer the under. Total sack. If Melvin, they have Melvin Ingram over under half a sack for plus 300. If Melvin Ingram gets one sack, you get three times your money. Yeah, see, that seems like such a great prop. I mean, you're playing where he's going to be going against the right tackle, most likely. The bad tackle. Mm -hmm. Against Joe Burrow, who loves holding on to the ball too long. And they're going to have to pass the whole time. I swear to God, that's the best bet I've ever heard of. I'm actually going to bet that. I'm going to see what the the maximum bet that they'll allow is $1,000. So I am going to bet a full unit $1,000 on that. Because I'm rich and I don't give a fuck. I bet on it too. I did a half unit, but I bet on it. And we don't unit shame. We should, but we don't. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Longest successful field goal, 47 and a half yards. I, I want to bet over because McPherson's really good, but also I'm scared because the Bengals might just never kick field goals out of fear. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to bet that because it's disadvantage. The only props I'm doing from this are Jamar Chase more catches than Tyreek Hill, Jamar Chase over 5.5 catches, and Melvin Ingram sack. I'm going to go a full unit on Melvin Ingram because it's so tasty. And then I'm going to go a half unit on the others. So I did uh, Jamar over five and a half receptions, over 88 and a half yards, and then Melvin Ingram over half a sack. All for a half unit, at least for now. Okay. I just locked in my Melvin Ingram sack. Let's pray for a Melvin Ingram sack because if he gets it, I'll feel like a genius. And if he doesn't, I will cry tears. Yeah, it'll be a little sad. It'll be the most excited I'll ever be for a Melvin Ingram sack, too. Oh, yeah. It's got to happen. Joe Burrow loves eating sacks, and Melvin Ingram's been getting pressure like crazy. He just he had three sacks on Josh Allen that he couldn't tackle Josh Allen. That's not a crime. Yeah, you do like to see the guy finish the tackle, but against Josh Allen, it's understandable. All right, now I have another bet. Chiefs minus three is negative 240. Rams outright is negative 180. You parlay those two together, you get plus 120. Say it for me one more time. Chiefs minus three, the alt line mm-hmm. with Rams money line, plus 120. And if you mechanical parlay, it's probably even better. And because they're lined up, we can mechanical parlay. Yeah, I, I don't mind that whatsoever. I think that's pretty good. I might do that. 
I'm afraid, man. I really want to bet Chiefs minus seven and Rams minus three. But if I lay both favorites at prime numbers, I know I'm going to get fucked. Yes. Should we just do it? Playoff markets are fucking built for squares to win anything. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's pick our favorites. You know what? I didn't didn't say this at the beginning of the podcast, but even though we lost three units last week, we're still up 11.93 units. We've still hit on 54.77% of our bets. We're allowed to throw one away on the Chiefs and say, Chiefs minus seven, fuck you. I know it's kind of square, but they're a way better team and the Bengals are really fucking lucky. Right? Yeah. Why not? uh, Same thing. You know, this is this one we have fun. Playoffs is uh, when it gets interesting. So how many units? Five? Let's hit the brakes a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Should we take about 500% offer? Yeah. Make it it one unit? Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. All right. One Great, I still like the uh, the the Chiefs Rams bet as well. Oh, I love that the mechanical parlay. Yep. Yeah. No, we'll add that in. How many units should we do on that mechanical parlay? Uh, what, so what do we have total? We have, so should we do two units on Rams minus three over San Fran? I think so. Yeah. Okay. And then one second, I'm going to work out the mechanical parlay. 141. Sorry. So the mechanical parlay is plus 121 odds, but if this line does go down to the Rams minus three, as we expect it to, I expect that money line to go from negative 180 to about negative 150, in which case we're probably looking at like plus 140 odds. So... We'll put it down as 120, but that might change on Sunday if the line goes down. Because it is a mechanical parlay, you bet, let's say in this case, to make things easy, you bet $100 on Kansas City, uh, minus three. If that wins, you make a profit of $41.67. And then you take the entire $147.67 from that bet, so what you staked and what you won, and then you bet all of that on Ram's money line. See how it works? It's a parlay mechanically. When you do it mechanically, you get a few extra points on the spread, or not the spread, the, the juice. So we're going to do that. We'll put it in the book at plus 121 for right now, but it's probably going to be more like 140 come Sunday. Right now, we've got Kansas. Wait, let me do some, let me signal to the people. We've got Kansas City, minus seven over Cincinnati. One unit at minus 110 odds. 
we've got Rams minus three over San Francisco, two units. It's going to get to 110 if it gets there. And finally, we've got Rams money line, Chiefs minus three, parlay it mechanically, as we talked about, two units plus 121 odds at the minimum, probably going up for a total of five units wagered, meaning if we lose every single bet, which could happen, crazy shit happens in the playoffs, we would still be up seven units on the season. Then we have the Super Bowl, and can't lose seven units in the Super Bowl, so... Oh, dude, if the Super Bowl is Rams versus Chiefs, like I expect, I might not bet. I might just enjoy the beauty of football. I I might be right in that boat with you. This is also how it always goes in, like, the NHL. I know that this is not a hockey podcast, but in the NHL every year, the Stanley Cup ends up being one really fucking good team who probably deserves to win a championship. And then one team who, how the fuck did they get here? This is bullshit. And the good team always wins. And the bad team does not win a Stanley Cup. And it's okay. And the NFL is just going through a little little wild child phase where it lets these shitty teams into the playoffs. And then sometimes they go places. Yeah, what if we end up with a uh, 49ers Bengals Super Bowl? Won't watch it. <laughs> I'll still watch it. I'll just complain the whole time. I literally won't watch it. It'll be the day it'll be the day before Valentine's Day. I'll say, "Honey, we're uh we're going to Mexico. We are going to a place where I cannot watch football and it's just you, me and ceviche." Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. I hope it doesn't come to that, but even more than that, I hope that you motherfuckers are betting on football games. You know, tail or fade, I don't really care because you deserve what you get. Till next time, hasta.